Specialty Story, session number 83. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week where I have an amazing conversation with a physician who talks to me about their career path. Why did they choose the specialty they went into and how does that relate to you? So today we have a great guest, Dr. Renee Rodriguez, who is a community-based pediatric cardiologist. She's also kind of friendly on Instagram as well if you wanna follow her. She's at Renee Paro, P-A-R-O, R-E-N-E-E-P-A-R-O. Today, Renee and I talk about what drew her in to cardiology. What does she really like about it? What does she not like about it? What are her days look like? And what types of patients she's seeing as a community-based pediatric cardiologist? We start the discussion with how she got interested in pediatric cardiology to begin with. It's a good question. So the first time I realized I wanted to do pediatric cardiology was my the second I started residency. And the reason why is because it was my first rotation as a pediatric resident. And I was like, residency is the best thing that's ever happened ever. <laughs> You're like, <laughs> I'm not then, in school anymore. <laughs> I was, yeah. And so at first I was not in just school anymore. And then I was like, if this is how residency is always, like the medicine is so cool and everything's so great and the people are just like me and blah, blah, blah. And then I went to the next rotation and it was great, but I was like, oh, that's not as fun. I mean, it's all right. So then I realized that it was cardiology. That was the thing that I was like, you know, I, I had some indication that the the physiology, the kind of people I was surrounding myself with, um, the medicine, the interactions with families, like that all all in the pediatric cardiology realm was probably what made me so excited. And so I went back and any opportunity I could to be, you know, take up extra. There were some times where some people went out and they needed extra coverage on cardiology and I would go there and see if I, you know, still felt the same way. And I always did. So that was, it was pretty clear when I started residency that that's what I wanted to do. What do you think it was about the cardiology rotation that, what were you seeing from a a patient standpoint, a physiology standpoint that really drew you in? So um, from a physiology standpoint, I think that congenital heart disease is super, super interesting. I think it's like a puzzle. Like you have to figure out where the blood flows based off of what the anatomy is. And it doesn't always make total sense, but it's understanding like, why it goes in this direction or why you want it to go there or what the surgical steps are. So I sort of fell in love with congenital heart disease to start. I also fell in love with the patients because typically when kids have congenital heart disease, they don't really have a whole other, a lot of other organ systems affected. Granted, they can if they have like a genetic abnormality or genetic syndrome where there's lots of other things, but like a lot of kids, it's really just their heart that's affected. So neurologically, they're intact. They're very, you know, they're blue, but they're like hilarious and like wonderful. And so I really was able to sort of bond with each of those patients as even the kids who had super severe disease in their families. So I really like loved the, I mean, obviously I'm a pediatrician, so I love the kids, but I loved that I could 
actually communicate with them because, you know, sadly, there are a lot of kids with genetic syndromes and other specialties where, you know, they're not conversant or they're developmentally delayed. And there's a lot that's wonderful to be able to bond with them, but you you don't that get that level of connection that you do when you can, you know, speak and, um, you know, have little jokes and do that kind of stuff with the kids. So I liked that part of it. And I also, you know, I just, I, the, the people who were pediatric cardiologists, they were, pediatricians at heart, obviously we love kids, but they were very somewhat surgical in their nature. Like they're a little bit more cut to the chase, have really high expectations, a little more, just a little middle harder edges <laughs> sometimes than other pediatricians had, which I felt like I sort of resonated with. I sort of like things to be, you know, let's cut to the chase. Let's get, let's get down to it. I, I like to be like fluffy, but I also like to sort of be a little bit more hardcore in a way. So I felt like those were the personalities that were in pediatric cardiology. And I really resonated with that kind of person. What traits do you think lead to being a good pediatric cardiologist? So I think being constantly questioning what is happening. So, you know, trying to evaluate things from multiple different ways. Obviously, we have many modalities of how we evaluate a heart with an EKG, an echo, exercise tests, caths, MRIs. I mean, the list goes on and on. So trying to be able to understand how to use those different modalities to answer a good question. So, I mean, you could order all of those tests on every patient, but clearly that would not be good care. So you have to be really thinking like, what is my, what am I trying to answer and how can I best answer this question in a non-invasive way to get the results that I need? And if I need to have invasive testing, like what is it actually going to gain? What's the timing of it? So really, how do you decipher like how you're going to work a problem up? I think you have to be able to be collaborative. I mean, I think this is a clearly a skill you need in all of medicine, but in pediatric cardiology, you're working with surgeons, you're working with EP doctors, you're working with transplant heart failure, you're working with PA, uh, pulmonary hypertension. Like there's a lot of different subsects when your um, patient is getting a little bit more complicated that you as the, you know, the primary pediatric cardiologist, you're, you're needing to be the sort of the conductor in all of this and between all of the different specialties when it gets pretty complicated. So being collaborative, being able to really deduce how you need to, you know, how you need to work a patient up and what each test is going to give you. And then also just being able to be a calming collective presence for families. You know, patients who come to see a pediatric cardiologist are petrified. Even if it's just like an innocent murmur or the kid has chest pain, the parents are walking in that door and they're freaked out their kid's going to die. And so, you have to do your best to try to allay those fears um, because most of the time their kids are totally fine. It's not going to be anything major. But if it is going to be something major, it is going to mean something that they're going to live with. You have to be able to dance that line and speak to the parents with trying to give them that information and guide them through it, but also not, you know, totally having them walk out of your office in shambles as best you can. So it's a, it's a delicate road for sure. What types of patients are you seeing, types of pathologies, et cetera? So as an outpatient community pediatric cardiologist, I see a lot of murmurs, which typically are benign, or if they're anything, it's a small hole in the heart or a small valve defect, so nothing that's major. Typically, that won't require any procedures or intervention to something we follow, like VSDs or you know, pulmonary valve stenosis. The One of the common ones that 
presents later in life typically as a, a large atrial septal defect because those ones, you don't necessarily pick up murmurs unless there's such a significant blood flow across the hole at the top of the heart that it causes some rumbling across the pulmonary valve. So a lot of those kids present a little later when you hear that murmur and it can be mistaken a lot for like a typical murmur. So pediatricians don't necessarily send them until later. But anyway, so that would be like one of the one of the things I would see that would require some sort of intervention, either surgery or cath procedure based off of the defect size. But I also see you know, chest pain, which is rarely, 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 rarely ever cardiac in kids. It's typically musculoskeletal or lung related, but if it has anything to do with exercise, I'll get those referrals. I see syncope, which typically is just, or passing out, which is typically just kids who are having vasovagal syncope or something called POTS, which is postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome. I see a lot of family history. So family history of cardiomyopathy or hypertrophic cardiomyopathy or family history of arrhythmias. And let me try, I'm trying to think of other things that I see a lot of. So in my practice, I also do preventative cardiology. So a large portion of my practice is high cholesterol, obesity, prediabetes, family history of early coronary artery disease or hypercholesterolemia. And then I also have a part of my practice where I do fetal echo. So that's a whole different realm of any primary indications that a pregnant woman would need for a fetal echo. I will do those as well. How many of the patients that you're treating come to you diagnosed or versus how many do you need to do all of the, the diagnosing? I would say the large majority come to me undiagnosed and then I see them. So the way that typically, so this is, so I've built up a fetal echo practice because in the way that pediatric cardiology is today, we rarely, we do, but we rarely pick things up postnatally because of our imaging abilities now and good prenatal care, we tend to pick up most significant congenital heart defects in utero. So if you're a pediatric cardiologist scanning a patient with doing a fetal echo and you identify a defect and the patient needs to deliver, you become that patient's pediatric cardiologist once they are born. So uh, pediatric cardiology practice now, that's how you tend to get more congenital heart defect patients in your clinic. And then otherwise, you know, if you, if a mur- it's a, you know, it's things that general pediatricians will pick up as an outpatient. So a murmur, a chest pain, family history, all that other kind of stuff. And typically, you know, they don't come with any workups. They may do an EKG before they see you, but it's usually, usually me doing the diagnosing if anything's going to be diagnosed. Describe a typical day. Typical day. Um, so I am part-time. So I go, I come in two and a half days a week. I come in in the morning. Typically, if I have a cardiology patient and I sort of specify my patients differently, like I have my heart healthy lifestyle patients, which are my more preventative cardiology patients, the high cholesterol, obesity patients, and my medical assistant will room them, she'll get their vitals, she'll get their weights, and then I'll come in and I'll just chat with them because I don't really do extra testing on them. It's a lot more about lifestyle counseling and nutritional exercise, all that kind of stuff. If it's a cardiology patient, then I'll have her get an EKG before I come in and then I will have reviewed the EKG and then I'll walk in the door and decide if they need any further testing. So I started about eight o'clock and I have hour long patient slots for new patients. For some patients, uh, return patients, I'll have half an hour, but some will need an hour as well. And then I see patients from eight to five on Thursdays and Fridays and I'm really just reading echoes, doing EKGs in the clinic room. 
you know, answering in-basket messages from patients or answering phone calls or answering calls from pediatricians who have questions from urgent cares. And then I walk out the door typically by about 5.30 after I've closed all my charts and then go home. And you close your charts uh, for the day by 5.30? I close my charts every (laughs) single day. (laughs) Congratulations. I do a lot of prep. And this is, you know, for people who are are practicing physicians who listen to this, I do a lot of pre-charting. So I pre-chart on all my patients. And this, I know it's challenging for different fields, but like typically my biggest patient day, I'll have 10 patients. And so I'll pre-chart on all of my patients beforehand so that by the time I get to see them, obviously, well, I will have reviewed the chart in its entirety. And then I can just add in what I need to add in quickly and then sign the chart pretty immediately after they're done. Very cool. What does call look like for you? So as an outpatient cardiologist who is not, does not take any in-house call, like I don't round on patients routinely in the hospital. And that, you know, that goes because we have, I have two major universities that surround me who have very robust surgical and inpatient hospitalization places for pediatric cardiology patients. So if they ever needed that advanced care, they'd either go to the two children's hospitals that are nearing me. So for me, I do have some privileges at a couple local hospitals, which I can get called at any time by them. Uh, And I can take the call or not take the call, depending on whether I'm in town or if I can do it. And there's a couple. And so if they can't talk to me, they'll talk to another cardiologist. But for my group, I'm on call probably once every, I'd say six to eight weeks. Um, And my call is, I can essentially just get called by any of the pediatricians in the urgent cares or in their clinics for usually I just read EKGs or answer questions for them. Like I said, if there's anything very dramatic where a kid needs to be evaluated immediately, I can have them go to a hospital I'm privileged at, and then I can evaluate them there. Or if it's something that I know, like it's a patient who has known congenital heart disease, they're going to need some more advanced care, I will tell them to send them to the children's hospital to be taken care of, and then they'll see me as an outpatient. As a pediatric cardiologist, do you feel like you have enough time for life outside of the hospital? Yes. Most definitely. Yes. (laughs) I mean, I will say that I built myself and my outpatient practice to make sure that that was a 100% possibility, which is why I took a position that was part-time versus full-time. So I definitely feel like I am able to balance my outside creative interests, my family, my own self-care very well by how I sort of framed my life with my practice. What was the decision to go into the community versus staying in an academic setting? I felt like I received excellent training in evidence-based, high-quality, very well-thought-out pediatric care. And I think that sometimes when you keep that only in an academic setting, you don't get to disseminate that kind of care outside. So I really thought it was important to bring that kind of care to a community setting to be able to provide that same type of care to people who wouldn't be able to travel always to Stanford or UCSF where we're located at. And I don't think that they should have to, you know, I think that that kind of care should be disseminated everywhere. So for me, I am not a big person who is very, has the big desire to publish or, you know, do a lot of research. I do like mentoring, but didn't feel the need that I needed to have a lot of uh, residents or fellows under me. I kind of wanted to be able to have that 
clinic feel where I was a doctor and the patients and I and I and I was doing most of the work. So those are the things that led me to be in the community. I mean, I thought that I could be more boots on the ground, take on more community efforts. Like I said, I have this preventative cardiology passion. I could become more in the community where I can actually lead programs maybe to make kids' lunches better at school, lots of awareness stuff. So those are sort of the reasons why I went into community. Do you know a breakdown of of the percentage of pediatric cardiologists that are in academic sources out in the community? Oh, that's a good question. I don't okay. don't know that. There, there seem to be some specialties that really don't work well in the community, but... No, uh, I think the cardiology... I think that there are a decent number of outpatient, non-academic cardiologists out there. Okay. What does the training path look like to become a pediatric cardiologist? So you obviously have to do an undergrad. So you do four whatever years you do to take through your undergrad, then it's four years of med school. And then you do a pediatric cardiology residency, which is, sorry, pediatric residency, (laughs) followed by a pediatric cardiology fellowship. There are some programs now, not many where you can match in a path from med school that you basically match in from the very beginning and you will be resident, I think it's for two years or three years, and then you automatically go into your cardiology fellowship. So you basically guarantee your spot. But again, that's very selective. It's not a whole lot of programs like that. Um, I know we we did have that at Stanford, um, and I know of a few residents who did that, but Typically, it's a three-year residency in peds and then a three-year cardiology and three-year fellowship in cardiology. And then you can also go to subspecialize, obviously, and that takes a couple of years after that, after your fellowship. Are there any paths for somebody who goes into cardiology first and then realizes they love the pediatric side of things? Like adult medicine? Uh, Well, for somebody who goes into cardiology from internal medicine... And then wants to specialize in pediatric cardiology because they they like that physiology and pathology better. So there is a hugely growing field. Well, not hugely growing, but a hugely needed growth field um, in pediatric cardiology called adult congenital heart disease. So there are people who, um, and I know of some fantastic fellows that I worked with when I was at Stanford, who do adult medicine first, and then they spend time, and I don't know exactly what it is. I don't know if there's a typical path yet, but maybe a year or two that they spend rotating through pediatric cardiology to get a better sense of congenital heart disease, because clearly they understand the adult onset issues, but they need to understand the pathophysiology of, and, you know, surgical management and all that stuff of the pediatric realm. So then, so typically, I think that's what ends up happening from the adult side, and then they treat adult patients more than peds patients. I don't know of a way, I haven't seen anyone do it where they become adult cardiology and then they go through and do just peds. The only thing I would say is maybe people who do med peds first um, could then do that uh, with a cardiology. And then that path I would imagine is med peds. And then I think that they end up doing adult cardiology and then some pediatric cardiology, and then they'd be able to see them all the way through. How competitive is matching into pediatric cardiology? It is one of the more competitive specialties of PEDS. So I think between PEDS cardiology and NICU, I think those are the two most competitive pediatric cardiology fields to get into. So I'd say it's relatively competitive. But I, you know, I, most people I knew ended up matching into some program. There's a lot of programs out there. What should a resident be doing to be competitive for one of those spots? I think that a resident needs to be hardworking in everything they do. So one of the 
one of the downfalls I would see was people would work super hard on pediatric cardiology and then they go to other resi- they go to other rotations and just try to coast. The thing about this is that everybody talks to everyone and when you do that it clearly shows that you're only trying to put on a face for one field and not for everyone else. So obviously working hard, making good connections, being a good learner, being open to opportunities, you know, staying going the extra mile when you're on your pediatric cardiology rotation, but you really should be trying to do that across the board because you have never you have no idea who knows who and who could say what about what. Because you never want, you know, when a people talk to each other. So never burn bridges. And so you never know when you're doing something and you go the extra mile in your GI rotation, how that actually funnel back to the fellowship director of the pediatric college. And they'd be like, she's great. She's wonderful. You want everyone, she or he, you want everyone to have a good thing to say about you. So working hard is always the right answer. Always. <laughs> yeah. You mentioned subspecializing earlier. What are the opportunities once once a student or a resident becomes a pediatric cardiologist, what other areas can they go and and yeah. subspecialize even further? So, you know, every it's pretty much the same as adults. So you can do electrophysiology. That's an additional year where you do ablations and you do rhythm testing and rhythm monitoring and you do really just mostly, I mean, it's all basically arrhythmias and um, rhythm things. And then you could do interventional cardiology. That is typically in kids. It's a lot of diagnostic catheterizations prior to surgeries. After surgeries, they do stinting. They do ballooning. They put in valves. It's pretty badass. Sorry, I don't think about that, but it's a great field. That's another additional year after cardiology um, fellowship. And then there's heart failure transplant, which they're more sort of specifically looking at. Obviously, they take care of transplant patients, but they also take care of a lot of kids with cardiomyopathies beforehand, thinking through any kid with heart failure, even a lot of the congenital heart disease patients that will go on to develop heart failure. They will take care of them. There is pulmonary hypertension, a smaller field, but that has to do a little on a lot of with NICU kids, kids with primary pulmonary hypertension, kids with pulmonary hypertension that results from their congenital heart disease. There is a CVICU. So there's a couple paths to being a cardiac ICU, pediatric cardiac ICU intensivist. So you can actually do it from PICU, where you are PICU first, and then you go and do additional training in cardiology. Or if you're a cardiology fellow, you can go from cardiology and then do an additional year, two years in the pediatric ICU. So there's a couple different paths, or you can just do an ICU year, CVICU year as a pediatric cardiologist. So there's that, that's got a varied amount of ways to get there. There is, I can't be blanking on every that. That's not the only things. Um, now there's some preventative programs that are coming up where you can do an additional year of preventative cardiology. I think there's a couple of programs that are like that. Um, and then adult congenital, obviously, which we just talked about. You can also do that from a PEDS, PEDS side. And those are the big ones I can think of. Oh, and echo. I'm sorry, advanced imaging. Mm-hmm. So that one, you do more trans esophageal echoes, fetal echocardiography, and they're more sort of the ones that are in the hospital doing a lot of the imaging afterwards. Okay. For the osteopathic student listening to this, what can he or she be doing to to help stand out to try to get into one of these fellowships? I would say the same thing as typical MD, any MD students. I mean, I, I don't know if it's just my experience or not, but I never saw DO students getting any different sort of treatment or thought process than a typical MD student. So, I mean, I honestly am a firm believer in is if you work hard, you work really, really, really hard, 
that, you know, there isn't such a thing as luck. I think it's if you put yourself with, if you work really hard, opportunities present themselves from the hard work that you do. So be there, be present, work hard, take opportunities where you can show up as your best self every time. And I think you can get whatever a typical, um, you know, an MD student would get. For the future general pediatrician listening to this right now, what do you wish they knew about pediatric cardiology to help help their patients, help you in the future? I, you know, I really just think that pediatric pediatricians should feel comfortable developing a relationship with a pediatric cardiologist because, you know, a lot of this stuff is a little scary and a lot of the stuff that pediatric cardiologists do is pretty foreign to everyone else. Like congenital disease is a pretty specific congenital heart disease is a pretty, it's kind of a hard to understand thing unless you really do a deep, you know, a deep fellowship in it. So I think that being able to just feel comfortable calling somebody, even just to say, Hey, I have this story. Like what would you typically do? I mean, I have this a lot with my general pediatricians. They'll send me messages online or they'll give me call and just ask me, you know, what I think about something. So I think just the team-based care, you know, we shouldn't have to practice in a silo and you should never feel that way. And so, um, being able to just run things by people is very helpful. I will say for pediatricians, fam- a lot of what we a lot of what we see in our clinic, a lot of it is in the family history. So I would say anytime you're seeing a kid who's complaining of chest pain or is has an episode of passing out or any of that stuff, really take a detailed family history in that and ask about cardiac disease, but not just cardiac disease or congenital heart disease, asking about do people in your family have arrhythmias? Do people in your family have internal cardiac defibrillators? Did anybody die before the age of 40 very suddenly? Like car accident where they shouldn't have died. They drown in, in college. They pass out on the track field. Like sometimes you don't, because people don't think about that kind of stuff. And then they're like, oh yeah, my cousin, my <laughs> second cousin, ha- that happened. And you're like, bam, you know? So like a lot of like long QT syndrome and arrhythmogenic cardioventricular, ARVC. I'm not going to say the whole thing because it's going to make me tongue-tied. Hokum. Um, lots of things are genetic diseases that are passed down. So if for any pediatrician, anytime you have any worry about a, a heart thing, take a very detailed cardiac family history. What other specialties do you work the closest with? You know, I tend to work a lot with the subspecialized cardiology fields. So I am, you know, on the texting, calling a lot of the people, like I just mentioned, and all of those other fields dependent on what I'm seeing in my clinic. Because as a pediatric cardiologist, a general pediatric cardiologist, you're seeing, you know, you're the sieve, you're seeing all of those things come to you first. And then sometimes you're going to have to funnel them off to those other specialties, because they're going to have better abilities to care for that patient. So I'm really in talk, I'm, I'm touched a lot with interventionalists, our EP doctors, sometimes surgeons, when I'm seeing one of their patients come back to see me and I'm worried about something surgically. It's a lot sort of in my field. Sometimes I'll be in discussion with some of the neurologists because syncope, passing out kids, they'll have some overlap between neurology and cardiology when we're figuring, trying to figure out what is sort of the, what's the cause of it. The majority of the time, it's other pediatric cardiologists. Are there any special opportunities outside of clinical medicine for pediatric cardiologists? You know, I, so there is some interesting um, work that's being done. A lot of not-for-profits and small organizations are now doing these heart screens, which, you know, is, is a little controversial, but basically it's to try to to circumvent these deaths that happen and, you know, deaths on the court of young athletes, which in America, the far 
the biggest cause of that is hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So there's a lot of programs that come out of this when there's a tra- tragic event that happens in the community where they'll do, you know, organizations will put money into being able to do free screenings where they do EKGs and preliminary echoes. So you can, as a pediatric cardiologist, get involved in being in there. I haven't quite done that yet, but I'm considering actually being able to do that because I've seen several kids who've had abnormal screens and then come to see me. Um, and it's really that there's not seeing a there's no pediatric cardiologists on that team. It's usually adults, and they don't they don't have um you know they get a little nervous about anything, which is good because better more screening in those senses is better. But so there's those things, you know. I foresee in the future there'll be a lot more opportunity with technology and rhythm monitoring, eye watch monitoring, all that kind of stuff. So it'll be interesting to see what happens coming up. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into pediatric cardiology? I wish I knew how awesome it was. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I think I always knew, but I think that it is such a unique field and most of the time, people have no knowledge of it whatsoever going through, but it is a super interesting, fast-paced, highly evolving field um, with a lot of really amazingly smart, fun people. One of the cool things I think about pediatric cardiology is that a lot of the people who were like the pioneers of things are still alive. When I was fellow- doing when I was doing my fellowship interviewing, I pretty much knew I wanted to stay at Stanford because my husband was here and I really loved the program on mentors. I had everything I wanted set up here, but I thought it was really important to go interview at different places just to get a sense of what things were people were doing around the country and develop connections and and all of those things. So I got to interview with some of like the grandfathers of cardi like pediatric EP and you know walk the halls and they're like to see some of the surgeons who still do things that have these huge, that are just like folklore of pediatric cardiology. Cause it's still such a young field and there's so many advancements that you get to still see these people who you read about in textbooks, which is pretty cool. Yeah. You're like doing the procedure named after the person who's yeah. in the operating room with you. You're like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> you're getting interviewed at your fellowship yeah. interview by somebody you're like reading in the EP textbook and you're like, this is so weird. <laughs> That's fun. What do you like the most about being a pediatric cardiologist? I really love connecting with my the patients in my family and clinic. They walk in the door, they're petrified. They even if it's a murmur that the pediatrician has so told them is going to be okay at the end of the day, like either the kid or the parent, if it's a baby obviously they don't know, but like there somebody's freaked out. And so I get to either tell them that they're totally fine, they never have to see me again after, you know, really developing a connection with them. And then I always get at the end, no offense, doctor, we think you're awesome, but we're super happy we don't have to ever see you again. Or in the other sense, if there is something wrong, I get to be the person to lead them through that whole thing. And it's a dark, scary, very unknown world for them. And to be that person that gets to sort of hold their hand through it all, I think is super humbling. And I don't take it lightly. And I really feel like that's like the art of medicine right there. So I love it. What do you like the least? Hmm. Besides charting. I mean, I like, (laughs) yes, charting off the bane of existence. (laughs) I like the least feeling like no matter how much you do when you try and you test, you can never tell anybody with a hundred percent certainty that everything's okay. I mean, most of the times you can, people are, but it's a bit, it's a heavy weight, right? People are coming to see the pediatric cardiologist to say, you're not going to die, right? And that's a heavy burden to bear. In the first two years of practice, like 
you know, I mean, even now I still doubt myself all the time, but it's hard. It's, it's hard carrying that weight, especially in the uncertain moments, like the moments where you're pretty sure everything is okay, but maybe this one thing is not sitting right with you. So those are challenging. <laughs> it's really challenging, but I would imagine that's sort of common in a lot of different fields, um, probably all of them, but see uncertainty about certain things. Do you see any major changes coming to the field of pediatric cardiology that a resident or student should be aware of? Like I mentioned a little bit before, I think this whole technology of everybody having a watch that can possibly pick up certain things is going to be a very interesting thing to see unfold. I've already had some parents who've come in and they said, well, on her watch, she was sitting there and then all of a sudden her heart rate went up to 160 and you're like, interesting. So like, I think things would have never picked up before maybe getting picked up. So, you know, what do we do with that? Obviously is going to be challenge. So that's where I think that more um, opportunities in in the tech world or other things being more medical liaisons, you know, to companies like kind of stuff, I think that might be much more of a um, possibility for future generations. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with it. Yeah, I I have a Apple Watch Series 4 on my wrist and do EKGs every once in a while. I'm like, oh, normal sinus rhythm. We're good. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) So I think that is going to blow, you know, I think technology is going to it's going to um, obviously change the change the landscape of a lot of things, but especially in um, especially in cardiology for both adult and peds, I think we're going to start to see a lot more interface with that kind of stuff. So it'd be interesting. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a pediatric cardiologist? One hundred thousand percent, yes. I love it. Any last words of wisdom for the peds resident or the the medical student right now thinking they want to go into pediatric cardiology? I would just say to not discount anything along your path. Like even if it sounds like this is it, this is what you want, this is what you want, really check, 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 check over again. And like I mentioned before, don't get tunnel visioned and think that like all you have to do is do really well on this rotation, the rest of them, you kind of skirt by. Like work hard, work hard because everybody talks and pediatric cardiology is a super small field and everyone knows everyone. And so you want to put on your best face always during interviews, on rotations, if you do away rotations, that's where always, always be showing up with your best self because people are going to know if you, um, if you're trying to skirt by. All right. So there you have it again, Dr. Renee Rodriguez, community-based pediatric cardiologist, who again is on Instagram at Renee Paro, R-E-N-E-E-P-A-R-O. Go tell her hello, send her a DM, let her know you heard her here on the Specialty Stories podcast. We have a great podcast coming up for you next week where we talk to a cardiac electrophysiologist. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. 